conferences. Just the word can send faculty and staff into a whirlwind of emotions, from travel anxiety to social anxiety to financial anxiety to professional anxiety. But hey, free vendor swag, am I right? On this episode of The New Professor, we're going to look at conferences, why we go, how we get there, the ultimate costs of them, and some alternatives. This one's for everyone that's ever made a PowerPoint on a plane. I'm Dr. Ryan Strait, Assistant Professor of Educational Technology at the University of Arizona, and this is The New Professor. So a conference is basically a melding of the minds, right? It's a place where professionals in a particular field can get together and share research and thought that would otherwise remain siloed within our relative institutions. For those who aren't that familiar, I'll give you a 30,000 foot view. And note that I am talking mostly about my and my satellite fields. Conferences in, say, medicine are likely very different. Essentially, an association or society of individuals in a particular field get together to have a big meeting. And that meeting is scheduled years in advance and typically takes place in a large, fancy hotel, often in a desirable travel destination. If we're talking about one of the larger conferences, one of the conferences put on by the Association for the Advancement of Computing and Education, AACE, is a good example, like eLearn or EdMedia. These are routinely held in places like Hawaii and Vancouver. The OLC Innovate conference I attended in April was in New Orleans, a big draw for me, but I digress. They ask for investors to help pay for the venue and logistics. These are normally vendors that then set up stalls in the conference to give away free stuff in the hopes of drawing more people to their product. Sometimes it works, sometimes it's sad. But that's where all the free swag comes from. Academics are then invited to present papers or studies at the conference, typically along a number of subtopics in a certain field. These are often called tracks or topics, unsurprisingly. You might have a research track or a social cultural track or a professional development track, for example. Submissions are due by a certain date and then almost always are really due by a second later date. That's just how it seems to work. They are evaluated by a team comprised of, say, conference staff and peers in the field. Authors and presenters are notified if they've been accepted and are then required to submit either a quote-unquote full version of their proposal, which more often than not is basically the same thing as the brief paper they submitted in the first place, or resubmit a polished version. Both then require a presentation. More often than not, PowerPoint. This is only true of papers. Some conferences have presentation types like workshops or labs, wherein the proposal, presentation, and workshop materials are often the only things required. 
the long-running joke is that, as a presenter, you want to present early in the conference as attendance and attention falls off pretty dramatically by the end. As an attendee, you'll want to scour the schedule and make a plan for which sessions you'll want to attend. If two you want to attend are scheduled simultaneously, then let the cage match begin. Obviously, there's a huge amount of work that goes into putting on a conference that I'm not touching on here, but you get the idea of the nature of the beast, I hope. So we've got the what and the how out of the way. But what about the why? Well, networking, dissemination of in-progress or early-stage work, promotion and tenure, heck, even just an excuse to travel. Often, though, going to conferences and presenting at them can be required. Yeah. Required events that cost money out of your own pocket. Fun, right? Academia taxes people for their right to keep and advance their careers. This is a quote from Dr. Pamela Gay, half of one of my favorite podcast teams on Astronomy Cast, from her piece on Medium titled The Unacknowledged Cost of Academic Travel, the link in the show notes. See, traveling to conferences, the airfare, the hotel, the conference registration, the food, the inevitable night or nights out, these things don't come free. In any other field, that would be, well, probably looked down upon, I would imagine, but somehow, in education, it's almost normal. Think about all the stories you've heard of public school teachers having to purchase their own classroom supplies. Anyway, there's irony here, as Dr. Gay points out. See, those who need the networking and exposure the most, people like, well, me, early career faculty, are often provided the least funds to get to the conferences and have less opportunities for time to do so in the form of, say, course releases. It's an uphill climb, clearly. Matt Reed, in response to Dr. Gay's work, amongst others, also makes a good point in his Chronicle piece that while the cost of travel may be burdensome, the professional risk of staying isolated can absolutely outweigh that. Yet another reason why the entire topic of travel funding is a minefield. Again, link in the show notes. Most, I think, faculty get a certain amount of funding each year to do with what they like. Call it discretionary spending, as it's not always specifically earmarked for travel. However, that amount can be, well, I don't want to say laughably inadequate, but that's honestly the first word that comes to mind. When a single conference registration can be upwards of $1,000, and that doesn't include hotel or air travel, or smaller costs like in-flight Wi-Fi like Dr. Gay mentions, you might be able to register for the conference, but have no means of getting there. Compound this with whether funding refreshes every calendar or academic year, and then the timing of the actual conferences, and then having to wait months to know if you're even accepted to present, and, well, like I said, minefield. So you've proposed something, and it was accepted. You've secured some funding to get you there. What do you take? 
I don't want to say too much on this topic because a friend and former colleague of mine, Mike Dombrowski, an instructional technology specialist at Cotty College, has a blog post about what tech needs to concern yourself with and overall how to maximize your conference experience. A link to his blog in the show notes. But I did want to mention one thing about my favorite hobby, photography. While I was at the OLC Innovate conference in April, I didn't bring my fancy camera. I instead opted to just document everything with my Pixel. Now, the Pixel's camera and its auto HDR software make for some mighty fine photos, but for my money, I'd prefer to use the Adobe Lightroom camera. See, this captures photos as digital negatives, allowing you much more flexibility in post. However, the files are also considerably larger. So if you're on a limited data plan, make sure to turn on your Wi-Fi only syncing, otherwise you'll eat through your data pretty darn quick. Uh, and I put a lot of the pictures from that trip on my site, also link in the show notes. So, if you're staying somewhere that doesn't offer free Wi-Fi, or enough free Wi-Fi, then you are still using that VPN, right? You do have some other options, like putting a router in your room. And info on doing that and just generally degrossifying your hotel room, also in the show notes. So what alternatives are there to having to deal with all these aspects of conference attendance? How about virtual conferences? Or at least virtual participation in a quote-unquote real conference? This is becoming more and more popular, though it's not entirely new. Essentially, you propose, just as you normally would, but instead of physically traveling to the conference and presenting in person, you're given a day and a time during which you should be available with your presentation to answer questions on the topic you proposed, fully online. Pros, no travel costs, just registration, which is usually discounted and you can add that research line to your CV just as you normally would. Cons? Well, the lack of networking and travel, obviously. Also, the web system for these kinds of submissions aren't always the most robust either, so prepare for some pains, I guess. If you do need or want to physically go, why not volunteer to work one? Often conferences are looking for folks to work certain areas, much like I did in the Innovation Lab at OLC this past year. The more time you pledge to be there, the more they'll knock off your registration fee normally, freeing up your funds to cover airfare and lodging. The downside to this, of course, is that you'll miss some of the events as you are otherwise engaged. It's not a solution for everyone, but it's certainly worth investigating. Or how about an unconference? These became popular over the past 10 years or so. Essentially, it's a crowdsourced conference wherein participants drive, well, nearly everything. Folks attending determine the schedule, the topics, and presentations are normally more open and end up being discussions more than individuals just presenting. Presentation styles like lightning talks and Pecha Kucha gained popularity in events like these. And if all else fails, roll your own. 
I began something like a conference a few years back that ended up being a student research showcase more than a conference. One giant poster session, basically. We secure funding from a local foundation to award prizes to those who a judging panel of faculty decide did the best job. Students have enjoyed it, and the faculty really like being able to see the research and work done across disciplines on campus. And, you know, if you want to start something like it, I'm happy to answer questions. You can just drop me a note on Twitter. Look, conferences can be great, but they can also be a pretty serious source of contention for a lot of different folks for a lot of different reasons. So let me know. Which conferences are your favorite, and why? I'd love to hear from you. The New Professor is sponsored by me. I research, record, and edit entirely by myself. So if you like the result, please spread the word, and let your friends and colleagues know they can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much wherever you find podcasts. See you next time.